Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the Minnesota Twins 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And the Guardians do manage to win the uh, season series, right? They do hang on, but they lose this series. And uh, in a series we really needed to take, two out of three or possibly sweep to really to really stay in contention. There's still still a couple weeks of baseball to go and anything can happen, but uh, we're just going to do what we do on the show. Focus on the positives today. Uh, as Marlon points out in his email, that winning the season series actually is important uh, because uh, Manfred changed. He eliminated the game 163, which means if you're tied after 162 games, you play a tiebreaker game. He eliminated that, and we used head-to-head records to determine division winners and wildcard spots. If by some chance the Twins choke and the Guardians tie them at season's end, the Guardians would win the division and earn a playoff spot. So uh, Marlon points out it is a little bit important that we won the season series, but we got a long road to go before we end up in a situation like that. We're still six games back in the division. So uh, let's focus on the positives today. And uh, is it Gavin Williams survived a rain delay and was able to come back out and keep pitching? Uh, it's, it's funny that they go into a rain delay, what was it, in the third inning, and then they come back out and keep playing. Still raining. Still raining. They didn't wait long enough. Uh, I'm glad they didn't because it meant Gavin Williams and Joe Ryan could keep pitching. Uh, but uh, it's just it's funny. You, you, you All that effort to cover the field and all that, and then you come back out, and it still keeps raining on you as you're trying to play again. Um, all right. Let's get into the positives in this one, and let's get into the storylines in this one. And it's a pretty simple game, a two-to-one game. And, and shockingly, uh, both runs are scored by the same Guardians player. Both RBIs are from the same Guardians player. Uh, literally, the Guardians offense in their first two at-bats, it's Andres Jimenez getting on base, and it's Will Brennan driving him in. And I, I, it's Pretty pretty simple day for the Cleveland Guardians offense. I it kind of sucks that Quan Ramirez, Calhoun, Loriano all go over at the top of the lineup. So the top of the lineup does nothing to jumpstart this offense. But Jimenez and uh and Brennan getting it done. And uh, you know, uh credit to uh Jimenez because not only is he getting on, uh, but does a good job of moving over and getting himself in scoring position uh, in both of these situations here. So he hits a ground rule double on a line drive down the left field line uh, to kick things off in the bottom of the second inning. Let's go to that bat. Let's see what pitch he hit. Why not? We got time. Um, Andres Jimenez to kick things off against Joe Ryan. It's a four-pitch at bat. Finally, he takes an outside fastball and rides it in the left field. Doesn't have to hit it super hard, but put it in the right spot. 90.3 down that left field line. Um, Then uh, Gabriel Arias uh, would go down and get a splitter down around the knees and fly out to deep right field. Uh, He put it out there at 370. Now it's to the point with Gabriel Arias, when he goes the opposite way, I actually expect the ball to carry. I, I expect the ball... 
uh, to do some damage. Let's see here. Let's go back to the scoreboard and let's see what the ex- three out of 30 ballparks. All right, three. Yankee Stadium, this would have been a home run. Of course it would have been a home run in Yankee Stadium. That uh, joke of a Little League ballpark there. That's right. I said it. You can tell Yankees fans I said it. Um, so that brings up, he does tag up and move to third. So that's what I'm saying. He does a good job getting himself in position in third base. And that sets up Will Brennan, who on an 0-2 count. And I don't know what the plan from Joe Ryan was here, but uh, probably wasn't throwing three pitches in the exact same location. So it throws him a fastball on the outside edge. It's up at the letters on the outside edge. He foul. He, it's a called strike. Then he throws him another one that catches more of the plate up at the letters on the outside half of the plate that he fouls off. Then throws him a splitter off the plate on the outside edge that's up at the letters. I'm guessing the splitter might have might have been called for down. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you'd throw another pitch there in the exact same location. And Will Brennan does what you're supposed to do with these outside pitches, and he just shoots it into left field. They were also playing their infield in, which is surprising in a in a zero zero game in the in the second inning. Like, what are you pinching in to prevent a run for? Um, so, uh, who knows if they were in their regular alignment? If this would have just been a ground out to short, but with the infield pinched in. He's able to ride this thing in a left field. He gets good contact on it. He gets good wood on it. Hits it at 102.4, so makes good contact and shoots it out of left field. And Jimenez comes in to score. And then let's repeat the process in the bottom of the fourth, this time with one out. Uh, It's a single by Andres Jimenez. Uh, He uh, takes an inside fastball at the belt, turns on it. We know this is a zone where Andres Jimenez definitely can hit. Uh, singles on a line drive to right field, uh, 95.8. So a nice solid liner there to right. Um, then, uh, Gabriel Arias, unfortunately strikes out swinging, but Andres Jimenez, uh, moves up to second, steals second base during the at bat. It's pretty concerning. Andre, uh, Gabriel Arias went over after a lot of fastballs, three swings in a row on fastballs that were above the strike zone. So, that's a little concerning. Uh, he eventually strikes out to the sweeper down and away. Uh, why was he going up out of the zone chasing these fastballs? We, we've seen it. We've seen it a little bit from him. Enough to be concerned from Arias there. But during the at-bat, Quan does steal second. Or not Quan. Or, uh, Jimenez steals second base, moves himself into scoring position, and that sets up Will Brennan, who works a long at-bat, seven-pitch at-bat here, Finally, it's a fastball down and away. He was going away. Ryan was going away trying to paint the outside edge of the plate through a lot of fastballs. First pitch splitter and then all fastballs in this at-bat. Tried to hit the outside edge and then also tried to get him to chase up and in. So he was going back and forth between those two locations. Finally, Brennan is able to catch uh, enough of a uh, fastball down and away. Doesn't shoot it the opposite way. Actually is able to get out in front of it and drive it into right right center field in the alley. Uh, Jimenez comes in to score from second. And Brennan hustles into second with a hustle. I'm going to say a straight hustle double. Um, not many guys are probably legging out a double in this situation. Because Kepler is over to field the ball. He does field it cleanly. Um but Brennan must have been running like like his hair was on fire out of the batter's box and is able to leg it out there. And, of course, uh, the, the other thing I should point out, 
is that, of course, both of these rallies, our two rallies, end with our eight and nine hitters, Miles Straw and Camp Gallagher. Oh, he flipped them around this time. He let Straw hit in front of Gallagher. Did it do anything? No. Uh, Straw would in the in the second inning. Straw flew out to right, and then it was a shallow pop out to right, and then Gallagher strikes out swinging, and then in the uh, bottom of the fourth, uh, because there's two outs, we don't get the Gallagher. Instead, Miles Straw just flies out to right here to end things. So not surprising that both rallies end with Miles Straw and Cam Gallagher. In fact, I got a message uh, from Zach on Twitter about that, and he said it's really hard to look at that lineup and think they are taking today seriously. After Straw's error last night, throwing him back out there today almost seems cruel. Gallagher over Fry is infuriating. One supposedly has a future with his team. The other should be gone the second the season is over, if not sooner. Why are we playing the one who is gone? So that was Zach who reached out to me on Twitter and sent me that message, and yeah, it makes no sense. I completely agree with him. Uh, when you're you're saying that we're going to try to compete against the Minnesota Twins and you put this lineup out, uh, it's really hard to take it serious. And, of course, this is the lineup that wins, but they win 2-1. to one. It's the pitching that wins on the day. Um, you know, I mentioned Gallagher over Fry. I, I sent out a message. Uh, I sent out a tweet that was like, Why, where did Fry's at-bats go? Like, he's had one at-bat since coming back from injury. And... Uh, at Purple Hat Kid uh, said to me on Twitter, well, he's got a rest after that long relief outing. I was like, all right, that's good. That's clever. That's clever there. Um, so, yeah, so that's the whole offense. Let's flip it around. Let's talk pitching because, uh, honestly, I want to I mention it before I forget about it, uh, the bullpen. I know we're, we're going to talk about Gavin Williams here, but the bullpen was absolutely fantastic. Four innings pitched to finish this game, four shutout innings of of one-hit baseball, uh, Henches with multiple strikeouts, Ronaldo Lopez with two strikeouts, Nick Sandlin with two strikeouts pitching in the eighth inning. So he goes with a little bit different combo here. No De Los Santos, no Trevor Steffen. Um, to get through the seventh and eighth innings, and then Emmanuel Classe comes in and shuts the door with only one strikeout in the ninth inning. So really nice to see the bullpen go four shutout innings with seven strikeouts combined. Uh, that's good stuff. That is really good stuff from the bullpen there. And uh, that's that's what it takes to beat the Minnesota Twins. we got to beat them in all facets of the game, and in, that includes the bullpen. Our bullpen has to outduel theirs. All right, let's talk Joe Ryan versus Gavin Williams. It's weird for both of them. They have the rain delay interrupt them, but they both are able to come back out and keep pitching. But Ryan can't go in deep into the game. Because, my God, did we foul off a lot of baseballs off him. He only goes four innings, gives up only four hits, only two runs, uh, one walk, three strikeouts on 89 pitches. He's only hard hit four times, but it takes him 89 pitches to get through four innings. I mean, he was really, really battling out there. Meanwhile, Gavin Williams goes five innings, also on 89 pitches, uh, only gives up the one hit, which drives in the one run. He does have four walks. To four strikeouts, uh, and he is hard hit six times. Uh, so for Gavin Williams, I mean, five innings pitched, a one hit, one run baseball, that's really good stuff. The four walks are concerning, but the four strikeouts, uh, nice to see. Remember, he does get saved with a runner on base. With a runner on base, he does get saved by some absolutely fantastic defensive plays. Uh, in the outfield there. Um, 
Walner's uh, after Walner walks, uh, Castro flies out, and uh, Jeffers lines out to uh, left center field. Had a 430 expecting batting average. I believe this is the one that Miles Straw uh, took away with a diving catch. Was Castro's the one down the line that uh, Brennan slid underneath? I thought those were in the second inning. But here's the thing about Miles Straw's play. Uh, Yes, it's a fantastic play. Yes, they were. It was Castro and Jeffers back-to-back, which were uh, great catches by our outfielders. Um, Miles Straw's catch today was absolutely fantastic. It was full extension. Uh, not a Superman dive, but more of like a sprint and then full extension and then, and then slide on the belly. Um, it, it doesn't erase what he did yesterday in the eighth inning. Like they were, they were trying to, they were trying on the broadcast. They were trying so hard to praise Miles Straw for his defense and, uh, the gold glove center fielder. And you're not fooling the real fans. The real fans know that his metrics are actually really down this year. In center field defense, and uh, it, he's he's it has not been the same season for him. So he still can make a highlight reel catch, yes he can, but it has not been the same defensively for him. Uh, in fact, let's see here, um, in outs above average, so in his range, uh, he's still in the eighty second percentile. His arm value is only in the 52nd percentile. His arm strength is down at the 63rd percentile. Compare that to last season when he won his gold glove. His range was in the 98th percentile. So they gave him a 13. I I don't know exactly uh, how OAA is calculated. Uh, But that's the metric they use for range for an outfielder or for a fielder. And he was a plus 13. This in the 98th percentile in baseball. So you can see how he won a gold glove. This year, he falls to the 82nd percentile. And he's at a plus 3 OAA range. Um, And even the arm value fell. Last year, he was at a 94th percentile in arm value. Not arm strength, but arm value. This year, it's fallen to the 52nd percentile. So the defensive numbers have fallen off for Miles Straw. Uh, Last year, I got another one for you here. Fielding run value, just overall run value defensively. He was a plus 15 uh, last year. This year, he's fallen to, uh, and, and, and he was a plus 15, and it was the 99th percentile. So his fielding run value. Plus 15, 99th percentile. This year, 70th percentile. It's at a plus three. So there's no denying his defense has slipped this year. He's probably not going to win a gold glove. I'd be shocked if he wins a gold glove again this year. Um, so, yeah. So it, it, there that did help Gavin Williams. So with the runner on a second base, two great catches by his outfielders. Definitely saved him in the second inning. Um, and, yeah, he finally gives up. A uh, a single to uh, Stevenson, uh, their number nine hitter again. What is with the number nine hitters in the lineup for the Twins? Knocking in runs off us. Um, but he shoots one through the left side and does drive in uh, Willie Castro, who is on via walk, uh, to score the lone run for uh, Minnesota in the fifth inning. So, 
All right, they finally get to Gavin Williams for one run, but I think we could say uh, we would take this, right? We would take this any day. Um, he was having trouble with his fastball again. He could not get that fastball. He did get a couple in the zone, but my God, did he miss with a lot of fastballs up into the arm side. It's it, We've seen this before. We saw this before in some of his early starts, and it seemed like he had corrected it, and it seemed like he was pounding the strike zone more with that fastball. There were a couple of good ones. I mean, he locks up Royce Lewis with a fastball on the outside edge of the plate at 99.3 miles per hour to strike him out in the uh, in the first inning. Great fastball. But there's just way, way too many fastballs that he's missing up and away to that arm side of the plate. He just cannot get it down into that strike zone. And that led to a lot of walks. Um, if we go to the player breakdown page... Um, the slider was the most effective pitch for him. And he was, looking at the illustrator, he was pounding the strike zone a little bit more with the slider. It had a 31% whiff rate. It had six called strikes for a 39% CSW total on the pitch. Uh, it's But it's only a 20% whiff rate total on the day and 26% CSW total on the day. So not the most effective day from Gavin Williams, but he gets the job done. What's concerning on this player breakdown page on the other side of things is Joe Ryan. Uh, He threw the fastball a lot, 54% of the time. Uh, It's not a super hard fastball. It averaged 91.2 miles per hour, but he was just attacking the strike zone with it. So the Guardians swing 34 times. They only whiff six times and 18% whiff rate. That's pretty good. He does have 10 called strikes with it. Here's the problem. They foul off 20 two fastballs, and only put six in play at an average exit velocity of 89.9. They only put six in play. Again, the Guardians hitters cannot seem to square up a fastball. How many times have we seen this? 22 foul balls and only six put in play. I'm glad they worked long at bats against Joe Ryan. I'm glad they knocked him out of the game after four innings because of this, because of 25 foul balls. You gotta be a better team at hitting the fastball. You got to. Uh, on the other side of things, Gavin Williams they fouled off seven and they put seven in play off him at an average exit velocity of ninety six point six. So yeah, I, so whatever changes with the coaching staff uh, in the off season, uh, we either have to find a new hitting coach or find an assistant hitting coach, someone who can teach these guys how to hit a fastball. I don't understand why this is such a problem for us. So uh, that pretty much wraps up the game. I mean, a two-to-one game, five hits to two hits for the Minnesota Twins. It's a pretty simple game. Uh, neither offense really gets going, and uh, our pitching staff just kind of shuts them down. Our bullpen, I mean, our bullpen really does. Gavin Williams, I would say, hung on for five innings. Uh, with those four walks and with his command issues. Not that the Twins were doing anything. With his command issues, Gavin Williams hangs on for five innings. But the bullpen really went to work, and they were filthy. Um, So let's go over to the emailers, because the emailers are going to bring up some interesting things for us to think about. We got an email from Eric in Rocky River. He's emailed in a couple times to the show. Uh... He says, hi, Davey. My philosophy on pro sports is that I just want my team to feel competitive most years, and the guards do that consistently much better than the other two franchises in this town. This season has largely been disappointing, but at least we have felt competitive and marginally in a playoff hunt until this point. Yeah, Eric, I'm going to jump in here to your email for a second. I 
I agree with this. Like, if think about those Yankees fans who, like, if their team isn't in the World Series, just absolutely tie themselves into knots. Oh, it's the they can make it to the you know the ALCS and and come up one game short, and it'd be the worst season ever. This team sucks. They need to fire everybody. They need to spend three hundred million dollars in free agency to rebuild this team. That's their attitude. They can't be happy with anything. You have to. Especially for a franchise where the team hasn't won the World Series since 1948. You have to just enjoy the sport and enjoy your team being competitive. You will destroy yourself if you're the only thing that will appease you is winning the World Series. It, it can't. It can't as fans. You've got to enjoy the ride or you will destroy yourself. So I agree with Eric's philosophy here. I I know a lot of you, I, I agree that with a lot of you out there that I want my team to win the World Series. I do. I want us to be in the playoffs. I want us to be in that hunt. But uh, if when over a 162-game se- season, you've got to enjoy the ride. All right, so back to Eric's email. Here are some negative, non-negative questions. Are Loriano and Calhoun likely to be with the team next season? It seems like they are valuable as veterans, and Loriano at least is still pretty young. Not sure what the contract status is for those two. I believe Loriano might still have some arbitration uh, years left. Yeah, he's only got three-plus years of service time. Uh, it says he's not a free agent until 2026, so he he might have some uh, arbitration years left with us. Cole Calhoun is just, uh, he's hes a veteran, a longtime veteran. He's probably going to be uh, a free agent after this season. What I think is going to happen, I, I do think Loriano could stick around with this team, but they have to use him in the right way. The splits, his splits are so obvious that he should just be platooning against left-handed pitching. He has no business on a good competitive team being in there against right-handed pitching. Against left-handed pitching, he has an 804 OPS. Against right-handed pitching, right on right, he's got a 594 OPS. It's bad. It's bad. It's a 189 batting average against righties, a 293 batting average against lefties. He should be a platoon outfielder only in there against left-handed pitching. If you want to keep him around, you got to use him in the right way. We didn't use Ahmed Rosario in the right way. We started him every day, no matter who was out there. And it was, wasn't, was did not make Ahmed Rosario the most effective player he could have been. And uh, we have to use Loriano in the right way if he sticks around. Calhoun, you know, someone else mentioned this in email a few days ago. Yeah, if they want to invite him back to spring training, but he should not be standing in the way of at-bats for Naylor. He should not be standing in the way of at-bats for Mazzardo. Or, or any other power bat that they want to call up and use the DH spot for. Jonathan Rodriguez, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Calhoun, it's been nice having him in the clubhouse. I'm sure there's been some impact. But I think there's probably, if you want to go find a veteran power hitter, there's probably other guys out there besides Cole Calhoun. I, he's had his moments, but I, he's, he didn't save this team or anything like that. So... If they want to invite him to spring training, sure. But I, my guess is they'd probably keep Loriano around and move on from Calhoun. Uh, next question. I know you don't want to speculate about who the manager will be, but would you prefer a non-flashy veteran guy or the NFL trend of super young wonderkin who hasn't had a chance yet? It'd be nice to have a little more analytically driven head coach than Tito. You know what? 
I I I do kind of want the younger, analytically minded uh, coach. It, it would be nice. It would be interesting to have someone uh, like that. Uh, I know Tito has, uh, you know, had a major impact on these guys. And uh, again, we will continue to break down his legacy. But I am interested in someone who uh, maybe can manipulate the lineup a little bit more and, and can put these hitters in more of a position to succeed. Whether it's a veteran or a young person, we need someone who understands those offensive numbers and can put these guys in more of a position to succeed day after day because the offense is not succeeding. It's been like that all season. His third question, for a patient at the plate, contact-oriented organization, it seems like virtually every batter, particularly the younger players, is down 0-2 the instant they step up to the plate. I wonder if there's a way to see if the guards' hitters tend to be down in the count more than other teams. If so, do you think this is a product of the team batting philosophy or just young players feeling way too much pressure to perform at the plate? All right, so here's what I can tell you about 0-2 counts. Uh, Looking on their baseball reference page, uh, the Cleveland Guardians, I, I can compare them against the Minnesota Twins. I can't find uh, actual rankings among Major League Baseball. But after an 0-2 count, so basically the uh, Cleveland Guardians have had 1,112 uh, plate appearances where they've started down 0-2. 1,112. The Minnesota Twins, I looked them up because we were playing them, have had 1,182. So they've actually had more counts where they've started down 0-2. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians in that situation are hitting 175. Eventually, whatever the at-bat unwinds to, they're hitting 175 with a 451 OPS. So not good when they start down 0-2. Doesn't end well, usually. The Minnesota Twins, it's also not good. They're hitting 155 with a 448. OPS when an at-bat starts 0-2. So you can see that uh, it's pretty much bad for everybody when you start down 0-2. So it's it's about the same as Minnesota, frankly. Uh, I, I can tell you that much. Minnesota does end up striking out more. They have 610 strikeouts uh, to 35 walks, whereas the Cleveland Guardians have only 458 strikeouts to 20 walks in that situation. So... Um, we at least put the ball in play more than Minnesota does when starting down 0-2, but it's about it's about the same. I, I, I don't know where it is. I could sit here all day and look up the rest of the league, but I can at least tell you compared to Minnesota, um, it's pretty much about the same. He says, thanks for keeping the podcast going and forget the haters. I posted something once on Reddit years ago that was vaguely pro-name change, and I got basically the meanest comments I've ever seen. This is why I don't post on Reddit anymore. Stay strong, Eric and Rocky River. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. You know, honestly, I I don't even get haters on Twitter. I just, I get nothing. I get, I get silence on Twitter. That's what I get. Um, so thank you, Eric, for the email. Uh, Jeff also is going to make me pull up the batting splits on uh, Baseball Reference. Jeff with a G. Um, he says, well, Davey, the victory was somewhat anticlimactic, really. At least we won the season series against the Twins, but wow. Those first two games of the series were just brutal. It seems like they were hitting home runs or doubles off the wall every inning. I'm glad I don't have to see Royce Lewis again anytime soon. Can you look up the Twins slugging percentage against us this season and specifically the series? I can look it up for the uh, for the season. I can do that. Baseball Reference does have 
those numbers. So we'll look at what they're doing against us and what we're doing against them. So against the Cleveland Guardians this year, the Minnesota Twins have a 722 OPS. They're slugging 410. Uh, against the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Guardians have a 623 OPS and we're slugging 341. Uh, that's bad. That's bad. They're slugging, what is that, almost 100 points higher than us? Uh Man, that's that's rough. They've hit 19 home runs against us, the most of any team they have faced this season, whereas we have hit uh, eight eight home runs against them. Now, uh, you know, we have scored, uh, and well, they've scored more runs than us. Uh, somehow we won this season series. I'm not 100% sure. They've scored more than us. They've hit more home runs than us. They've definitely outslugged us. Uh, in this series, but our, our pitching in games like this and two to one games has done the job enough to win the season series. So at least we got that. So yeah, so there are the numbers. Uh, your eyes aren't deceiving you, uh, Jeff. They have slugged like crazy against us. Uh, as far as where it compares to the rest of um, the teams they've faced, now some of these teams they've only faced three times, so the slugging percentages are a little blown out here. Uh, so it's kind of middle of the pack. They've slugged against other teams, but they, like I said, they haven't really faced other teams. Other teams they've faced as much as us. Uh, Kansas City, they've slugged 451 against them. Uh, the Mariners, they've played seven times. That's probably the team they beat up on the most. They slugged 532 against them, against Seattle uh, in seven games. So uh, that's what's going on with the slugging numbers for the Twins. He says, kudos to Big Rig for going five good innings and shout out to the bullpen for locking it down. I like Ronaldo Lopez as an option for next year and Classe was brilliant. I, I believe Lopez and Moore are both uh, free agents at the end of this year. Uh, so it would be interesting uh, to see if Ronaldo Lopez would take a uh, uh, contract from us. I'm double checking it right now to see what his contract. Yeah, he's a free agent in 2024. So, uh we would have to he would have to accept a contract. It would it's not like Loriano with an arbitration situation. So, it will be interesting to see if they extend a contract to Ronaldo Lopez or if he follows uh Giolito and they stay together forever. Uh, Bre- uh back to Jeff's email. He said Brennan is hitting the ball once again and I really like him, Arias and Bo as future players. I already have Jose, Josh Naylor, Quan, and Jimenez locked in as team stalwarts as position players. I don't mind Fry as a utility glove and lefty masher either. Straw had a nice play in center, but that doesn't make up for last night's misguided effort when he gave up the triple to Solano. I appreciate his grit and attitude. Just wish he would steal more bases and hit a tad better. These low-scoring one-run games are wearisome. We just have to add some pop to this lineup. Other than Jose and Josh Naylor, do you consider a potential 20-plus home run hitter if anyone in this roster? Yeah, I think Bo Naylor could absolutely. I think Bo and Josh could both be 20-plus home run hitters. I think Bo and Gabriel Arias. I think Gabriel Arias, if he cuts down on the strikeouts a little bit, or, or he just commits to them and just accepts them and, I mean becomes who is it uh what's his name for uh for the Phillies a Schwarber doesn't he have like more home runs than singles this season um I don't want Gabriel Arias to turn into a Kyle Schwarber type but uh, I I think Arias could be a 20 plus home run hitter and I think if 
if Andres Jimenez takes a step forward from what he took a step back this season, uh, they've definitely got to keep working on Jimenez. Someone has to unlock Jimenez because there is a great hitter in there. We've seen it. Uh, I think Jimenez could get close. I think he could be an 18 to 20 home run kind of guy. All right, as I said, but but we need more. We definitely need to go find more power, Jeff. He said, all right, as I said before, I'm trying to enjoy the process of the season rather than dwell on outcomes exclusively. This series leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but today's win helps a little. Now on to the West Coast for some Pacific Standard Time, i.e. 9 p.m. or later games for us. Ugh. Thanks for the podcast and your efforts to bring us together. I appreciate Marlon's comments on this morning's podcast. His love and enthusiasm for baseball and the Guardians was very clear, and his kind words and praise for you and all of the listeners was spot on. Kudos, kudos to you and all of the Cleveland baseball morning people, Jeff and Columbus. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Um, thank you for the questions. Thank you for the thoughts. Marlon got in. Marlon from Birmingham. He said, well, there isn't too much to say about today's win. He goes on to talk about winning the season series. Shout out to the pitching staff for limiting the Twins to only two hits all day and to Will Brennan for driving home the only runs on the day for Cleveland. If Cleveland signs a couple of power bats in the corner outfield and move Quan to center field, Brennan could thrive as a fourth outfielder. It's too bad Fry didn't start instead of Cam Gallagher. This offense could have used his bat in the lineup today. He goes on to talk about a segment they did on MLB Network with Mark DeRosa where he was breaking down Andres Jimenez's swing. And uh, I did see that. And I don't know what's changed mechanically because he changed some things mechanically, which let him have a really good 2022 season. And Mark DeRosa on the show points it out. Uh, and and it, I don't know if things have slipped, if his mechanics have changed in the 2023 season, but obviously he's not the same uh, hitter. Uh, it, it, the video is on YouTube and it's titled Andres Jimenez is a pure hitter posted by MLB Network. Uh, he said it was interesting to hear DeRosa's analysis and he does intrigue me as a potential replacement for Tito this offseason. Man, we're going to hear so many names, Marlon. We are going to talk about so many names. Unless they've got someone in the bag and like two weeks after the playoffs end, they're like, oh, it's Will Venable or it's Mark DeRosa. Like unless it's just they already know who it is. Hopefully the Guardians can send Tito off on a high note and maybe put a little pressure on the Twins in the process. It would be nice to see the Twins get too cocky, relax, and hit a rough patch for the rest of the season. Hey, we've all seen teams choke before, especially in Cleveland. As unlikely as it is, anything can happen in baseball. Hopefully this team, as Tito puts it, will keep grinding. Marlin in Birmingham. So we've even got Marlin thinking positive here, staying positive for the end of the season. I like it. Um, all right. That is all the emails, all the messages. I like that was a that was a good round of emails. Everybody brought up some really interesting thoughts, challenged me to dig into baseball reference a little bit and pull some stuff up. And uh, that was fun. It was a fun episode. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there are some edits in this episode because the baby, the, he's not even a baby anymore. The, the kid interrupted me once waking up. The dog busted into the room where I was recording. And uh, so, yes, there's been a lot of interruptions in this episode. I'm glad we made it through. Uh, all right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final. It's the uh, Guardians 2, the Minnesota Twins 1. I guess we won it our way, didn't we? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Please keep bringing those challenging emails, making me dig into baseball reference. I enjoy it. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Baseball morning.